nerds it is comic book week and on this episode we are going to talk about mirage comics volume one of the teenage mutant ninja turtles in particular we're going to get into issue number one and issues 24 through 26 of that run so stay tuned for that and so much more right after this I'm Richard. And I'm Will. And together we're... The, the Irreverent, Irreverent Nerds! Nerds. Bum, bum, bum. Nerds, I have an announcement for current and future subscribers. We have lowered our price. Now for only 99 cents per month, you'll get access to one brand new bonus episode released on the first Friday of each month, our full back catalog of bonus episodes, video versions of select regular episodes, and more. So don't wait another minute. Click on the link in the episode description and sign up today. Now on to this week's episode. Nerds. Nerds. We're here. I'm speaking in a Scottish accent again, because I love it. <laughs> and I'm 35% Scottish. And 8% Norwegian. Woohoo. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, we're here uh, with my daughter, uh, as we often are, doing an audio only this week. No, no video for subscribers. We're sorry, subscribers. But, uh,. You're just going to get to hear our dulcet tones, no beautiful faces. Uh, you probably don't feel that left out, but, you know, <laughs> just in case you do, we're sorry. It's audio only. We're, we're using Audacity, actually, which works quite well. For a free program, it works great. Um, but yeah, well, we're going to jump right into it. Will, my friend, what are we here to talk about? We're here to continue Turtles Month. And today on Turtles Month, we are talking about the original Peter Lard and Kevin Eastman comic series by Mirage Studios. Lard or Laird? Laird. <laughs> I don't know. I Sorry, Peter, yeah. if you're listening. Um, yeah, I got that one wrong. Slap your tongue. <laughs> <laughs> I've probably been getting it wrong for a long time now. Richard's the first one to call me out on it. But... Um, yeah, yeah, we're here to talk about the original comic run. Uh, not all of it. We have selected just a few issues to talk about today. Uh, obviously, the first issue and then some favorites of mine, issues 24, 25, and 26. Uh, the River sto- series by uh, Rick Ve- Veach. Do you think it's pronounced Veach? Veach. Veach. It's either Veach or Veach. Okay. I think either one probably works, because I'm not sure. But uh, we're going to start out by jumping into the wiki here. So, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is an American comic book series that was published by Mirage Studios between 1984 and 2014. Conceived by Kevin Eastman and Peter... Laird. Laird. Just think of, like, the evil Laird. Like, Peter Laird. It was initially intended as a one-shot... Not saying Peter is evil, but... (laughs) Evil, evil man. Sorry, Peter, again. (laughs) But due to its popularity, it became an ongoing series. The comic created the Turtles franchise of five television shows, 
seven feature films, numerous video games, and a range of toys and merchandise. So I wonder if this Wikipedia is updated with the new film. Would that be eight feature films or? Hmm. Not sure. Yeah. Notable for its black and white format and darker tone compared to the rest of the adaptations. Adaptions. Sorry. Adaptions that followed. Actually, it's supposed to be adaptations. That's a typo. Wiki. Okay. Well, it should be adaptations. You said it right. My brain corrected it. Your brain corrected it. The series, the series <laughs> follows the exploits of four genetically mutated Ninja Turtles who are trained under the orders of Master Splinter, a pet rat, to combat various foes, most notably involving the likes of the Foot Clan and their leader, Oroku Saki. Another typo, the wiki says Oroko Saki. Oh yeah, it should be Oroku. Who secretly takes on the identity of the Shredder. And by the way, Master Splinter is not the turtle's pet. He was a pet, but not of the turtle's. Yes. Just, just to make that clear. <laughs> anyway, continue, my friend. Over the years, the Turtles have appeared in numerous crossovers with other independent comic characters such as Dave Sims Cerebus, Bob Burden's Flaming Carrot, Stan Sakai's Usagi Yojimbo, Image Universe series including Eric Larson's Savage Dragon and Todd McFarlane's Spawn. Ooh. And I have some of those crossovers. I, did, I didn't know they had done a Spawn crossover. Uh, I don't own that one. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't think I've read it, but I'd love to get my hands on that. Uh, if we can get our hands on it, we should do an episode on it. Yeah, someday. yeah. Uh, you a Spawn fan? No. Well, I've never. I'm familiar with it. It's just okay. it's, it's recognizable. Which obviously, Yusagi. Yeah. I recognize some of the other ones too, like Cerebus. Although I only, re- I think I've heard you talk about Cerebus. Yeah, I have that crossover. Okay, yeah. And yeah, I have yeah. the first Cerebus Omnibus. Yeah, so I've heard you, you've talked to me about Cerebus before, but then I was just watching a documentary, which is currently on Paramount Plus, uh, what was it called, Turtle Power? Uh, the, I think The so. official Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles origin story or something yeah. like that. And um, they talked about Cerebus as well as being one of the, kind of the 80s black and white renaissance, although I think it predated uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, I believe they. I think. I think they were saying, like Kevin and Peter were saying, that they drew some inspiration from it. I think. Um, but anyway, so yeah, but he's Jimbo, and obviously I've heard of Spawn. Um, right. Not heard of Savage Dragon or Flaming Carrot. Oh. Uh, <laughs> well, we don't have time to get into Flaming Carrot right now, <laughs> but uh, you've probably seen a Flaming Carrot. There was a Flaming Carrot live-action film that did not actually contain the Flaming Carrot character. Really? Did you see the Mystery Men movie? I did not. Okay. I know of it. I remember seeing it advertised, but I never have seen it. Okay. Well, anyway, Flaming Carrot is a comedy superhero series. I don't know a lot about Uh, it, but I I do have the uh, two issues with the turtles in them. Anyway, um... Savage Dragon, yeah, I don't... What's up, Doc? No. It, it, it's basically a, a green man with a fin on his head. Okay, okay. Uh, we, we could, uh... Maybe we can do a podcast on them in the future. I think we talked about that earlier today. Maybe so. Yeah. But, uh... To continue the wiki, in October 2009, Peter Laird... <laughs> sold the rights to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles franchise to Viacom, the parent company of Nickelodeon. 
Mirage Studios was shut down on September 19th, 2021. I did not know this until right now. Oh, wow. So pretty recent. Yeah. I guess during the pandemic. I guess so. In, in 2011, IDW Publishing secured the rights to publish a new series and reprint the older comics. Uh, and as far as I know, the new series is continuing today. So, um, that's it for the, the, uh, first section of, uh, the wiki. Yeah, so that's, so that's the intro. So, so speaking of intros, Will, what was your intro to this comic? Like, how did you first come across it? Well, I mean, obviously I think both of us were first introduced to the Turtles in general by the cartoon series of the 80s. Yes. Uh, I did have a t-shirt I got from Carolina Beach with the Turtles from the comics on it, all wearing red bandanas. I always wondered why my shirt had the Turtles all wearing red, but... It's like, is this a misprint? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is a cheap misprint. Uh, mm. When did I... You know, I don't know when... I figured out there was this more mature comic book series uh, behind the cartoon. I don't remember when that happened. It was probably in the 90s sometime. Uh, I remember that once I found out, I started collecting every issue I could get, though. Nice. Um, I've got, in an earlier podcast, I said I had as early as issue five. That's not true. As I dug through my long box, I found out I have issue number two. Nice. Uh, which, by the way, April O'Neil appears on the front cover of issue number two, and she looks more like her 80s cartoon self. Later depictions of the character, she would look more ethnic, though. So I can see why they might have been confused. I'm not really sure. And apparently she was based on, um, I believe, um, is Eastman the guy that wears glasses, or is it Peter? That's Peter. Peter wears glasses. Okay, so Kevin Eastman, um, April O'Neil was based on his girlfriend and future and eventual wife. I don't know if they're still married, but they did get married back in the day. So I think they got a divorce. Okay, I think but, <clears throat> they didn't talk about that in the documentary, but he did mention that she was inspired by and like each of the turtles, at least their their personalities and such were inspired loosely by one of the f- the first four people to to be involved creating the comic which i thought was cool 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 i mean i mean uh forgive me by the way uh mr eastman if i'm incorrect i just pretty sure i heard that that was a x but anyway yeah yeah i don't i don't know i don't know which came first though like i think he said she looked so she must have been i don't know if ethnic's even the right word but must have been person of color yeah you know um, and maybe they made it closer to her. I think he said it. It took on. It was closer to her appearance, like the further the comic went on. I think. Oh, or at least okay. later later editions looked more like her. Well, that makes sense from what I've noticed. Then, since the original appearance of April didn't look like what she would eventually look look like in the later issues. Yeah, that must be the case then. He just, I guess, I don't know if they were dating at the time. Maybe as things got more serious, he's like, we need to put her, 
her real image in the <laughs> in the comics. I don't know. Cool. Um, but anyway, that, that was a cool little um, uh, trivia tidbits the right word. But um, you can find that in the documentary as well. There was a lot of footage, like because the guys back then. I mean, you saw it as well. Like so, they were they were recording a lot of things as they were starting, and uh, so they have you know a decent amount of video footage from back in the eighties. Yeah. So it's just like. It was just like two guys working out of their living room, and then they brought two more guys in, and it kind of gradually grew as the comic took off. And uh, then, obviously, when it became a cartoon and a toy, is when it blew up. But uh, but we're we're not here necessarily to talk about the toys uh, as much as we are to talk about the comics. Yeah, right, right. Um, although that'd be interesting too. But uh, um, so the original comic book. Um, you had, uh, we both read it at some point or another. Uh, I didn't get the chance to reread it all the way through. I read about half of it, and I think you did too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what did you think from memory and what you read? I liked it. I cool. liked it. And, um, yeah, it's been a long time I've seen things since I read the first issue, so rereading was enjoyable, especially after, after watching the 1990 film recently and then seeing Mutant Mayhem. Like you're definitely right. The '90 film follows it more closely. Yeah. Um, with one one noticeable difference, um, the they kind of combine the two Orokus because you had what Oroku Nab Nabi, Nagi Nagi, uh, who actually gets killed by Humato Yoshi, uh, rather than rather than Oroku, as in the the live action. Like he kills right both the the wife and Hamato. Right. But in the original comics, like, Hamato kills him, you know, like, he's... and then runs off to New York to hide, and then eventually his brother, Saki, Uropo Saki, comes to New York and becomes the Shredder and then takes revenge, and then he kills. But I guess it made sense dramatically maybe to combine the two yeah. and simplify it yeah. so that to make the story more um, efficient, I guess, and it, it didn't it didn't really it didn't really ruin anything, no. not too much, because like the brother dies right at the beginning of the story, so it's not like he was a big, unless they reference him in later comics. I don't know. Like, no, I'm pretty sure Nagi has been dropped completely from all origins of the turtles moving forward after this. I don't think he's ever mentioned again past issue number one. Um, and as you said, uh, it was just more efficient to remove him from the story. Yeah, and then just have it, instead of having that additional layer, you just have a direct rivalry between Hamato and and Saki. Right. And um, Hamato Yoshi and Urako Saki. You know, and then, well, Hamato is the one who dies a little more quickly, I guess, in the story. Um like he comes and actually starts a dojo i noticed in new york which i thought was like oh that's cool but yeah one thing i didn't necessarily catch from the live action film which i don't know if they reference this or not is that they were both members of the foot clan in japan that both hamato and nagi and i guess eventually his brother as a form of revenge also joins and gets trained in the ways of the foot clan so the foot clan predates shredder in the in the comics at least or at least the, oh, origi- the original iteration absolutely um and and 
that's a good thing to point out because technically the Ninja Turtles are practicing Foot Clan ninjutsu in the comics and some of the other iterations. So does the like when they first fight the Foot Clan in New York, it's Foot Clan. I think well, even the live action movie, I think they reference like Shredder. Does he recognize their fighting style? He's he like, does. He's like there's something familiar about your fighting style. Yeah, he does. Uh, I think you're right. I don't think the movie made it clear that Hamato Yoshi was a member of the Foot. But I could be wrong. Yeah, I might have missed it, but I, I couldn't. I couldn't recall um, a direct, or at least a very clear reference to him being a member of the Foot, or the two of them even being a member of the Foot. I was trying to remember if it was more implied that Shredder started the Foot. Um, maybe they don't even address that directly. Um, not sure. Well, I think in the in the ninety mo- the in the first movie. Uh, they do say that it was something that happened a long time ago in Japan, so the foot was definitely around uh, pre and predated Shredder. But no, we're, we're not really given a clear history lesson, I don't think. So uh, another thing that I thought was interesting in the first issue is that... Uh, trying to think i mean there were several things um the uh sorry i'm having a brain fart i'm supposed to be the uh the main host tonight and i'm not doing a very good job i'm just (laughs) tired from work so um we really should i really should have uh tried harder to reread issue number one but honestly i was really excited to talk about the river series uh which we will get to um but obviously issue one was more important so i've really dropped the ball here um one one really interesting thing about issue number one is they just straight up kill the shredder that's what splinter is teaching them to do that's why he taught them ninjutsu in issue number one it was only specifically to get revenge on the Shredder for killing Hamato Yoshi and Shin, his wife. Um, so, that's dark. Um, yeah. Which, I guess in the 90 film, he also does at the end. Although he's... Oh, yeah. Well, at yeah. least they imply it. I mean, he gets crushed by a garbage compactor, so... He pretty much did. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he, he somehow miraculously comes back in the second movie. Yeah, they only show his helmet getting crushed, so it's like you don't necessarily see the body, and there's not blood everywhere. You just it's implied yeah. that he's killed. He uh, he winds up at the garbage dump and just gets up out of a pile of trash. <laughs> uh, I am reborn, dirty shredder. <laughs> dirty shredder. <laughs> 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 oh my! You you know um, they could have went an entirely different route. Uh, they could have brought in Karai in the second movie. Oh yeah, his daughter. Yeah, his daughter, which is uh, the leader of the Japan branch of the Foot in most uh, iterations. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, which she makes an appearance in the 2007 yeah um, CGI film. Speaking of which, do you think the 2007 CGI film 
follows in the same continuity as live action films or because hmm. that was a little confusing because shredder was supposedly dead in in that cgi film i'm not sure I, I i haven't seen it since since maybe around the time it first came out like or not too long after so i haven't seen it in a long time and um <clears throat> and it's been a, probably even longer since i've seen the third live action film so i'm not sure i'd have to have to rewatch just to, yeah. to catch which um yeah that right now there's like so much turtles content to catch up with oh it's i like, know um you have to choose wisely i suppose <laughs> yeah i uh, almost started watching rise of the team and t today during a slow period at work but um chose chose to focus of course on tonight's podcast instead but yeah, we're going to review that film in the future, and I kind of want to know the series that leads up to the film, but there's just so much content. Oh, um, I know. I know. So, in the 2007 CG movie, uh, the time scepter from the th- third Turtles movie is actually seen in one shot. Oh, okay. I okay. don't know if that's a cameo or if it's a continuity reference, though, hmm. because it also shows Mousers, and the Mousers have did not exist in that uh, continuity. Hmm. So who knows? Yeah, I don't know. But um, any other thoughts that you have of the first issue? Uh, let me see. Um, well, I guess just a little bit about the backstory. Like, I really enjoyed... I haven't finished the documentary yet, but what I watched um, today was was really cool just to see there's just these two guys who... You know, we're trying to do something they loved, and and hoping, hoping to eventually make enough money doing it. But but. Do I just talk in the microphone here? Okay. Here goes. Nerds, I am here to tell you, if I never see another leech again, it'll be too soon. Damn, I hate leeches. Anyway, I wanted to take a minute to inform you. Oh, by the way, this is Raph. You know, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle, Raphael, that's me. Anyway, I wanted to take a minute to inform you that the irreverent nerds want to hear from you. There are a multitude of ways you can contact them. Number one, follow them on Instagram, at irreverent underscore nerds. Number two, like their fan page on Facebook, The Irreverent Nerds. Number three, reply to episode questions and polls when you listen on Spotify, Number four, leave them a voice message at theirreverentnerds.com. Number five, follow them individually on Instagram at our best underscore WS and at cartoonist will. And you get the picture, right? Reach out, connect, let them know what you think. Even if you think they stink, they want to hear from you. All right, can I go now? I have some pizza to eat and some heads to smash. All right, later. They just threw kind of their their passion for comics into this issue, you know, not knowing if it would succeed or not, and um, and yet yeah, took off enough. Like they they made a profit for the first time, you know, off of the early issues, and then were able to make another issue, and then it just they were able to, to start a studio, you know. But yeah, it's just there's something about like the seventies seventies and eighties, man, about people starting businesses or 
you know, you, you got like the Bill Gates and, and Steve Jobs stories, you know, like I think Bill Gates started his out of his garage or something, something somewhat similar with Steve Jobs and, and was, was Newski, was Newski. I'm probably saying his name wrong, but the two guys who started Apple, uh. and or, and um, and yeah, and then you have your like underground comics taking off, and then one in particular, obviously like blowing up, and uh, yeah, it's just cool to be like, hey, you know, and you look at their art style, you look at the the talent, and it's like, you know, I see a lot of that like like with you and with the other comic book artists that that you know, like Dan Johnson, a lot of his connections was like, like. These guys are just as good as like, you know. It's just you got to get the right thing that just catches people's, either catches the right people's attention or just just catches on, for whatever reason it just hits. Yeah. And it's like, but I think maybe something to learn too is like they weren't necessarily trying to make a hit. They were just making something they really enjoyed. Yeah. And then that passion kind of came out into it. You know. Absolutely. People resonated with it. I guess. I, and that's the key, you know, when Stan Lee um, was working for, it was I don't think it was called Marvel Comics yet, but the, I think it was back when it was called Timely Comics, but he was writing a bunch of uh, romance comics and things, and he just didn't like what he was doing, so he convinced the higher-ups, he said, just let me write the comic that I want to write, just something that I would actually enjoy reading myself. So he wrote Fantastic Four, and, you know, the rest is history. Uh, if you create something that you really enjoy, then I think, that, like you said, the readers will catch on to that, and they'll enjoy it too. Hopefully. I mean, unless yeah. it's, unless you're just so weird that, like, no one, <laughs> no one ever resonates with it. But, well, right, that's you true know, too. But it's, like, a combination of, like, like it catches on, but then it's got to find its audience too. It's, like... You know, if you can get it out there, and if it finds finds its audience, you know, it can it can really take off. Like, but yeah, there's so many things too, though. You know, that also are are just as brilliant, but then for whatever reason, they just don't catch their audience. Whether it's a marketing issue, or it just doesn't get to the right people, or or the creators stop before they find the audience. You know, whatever the case might be. Like, so it's. But just to see that the the potential's there, like that's that's pretty cool. That, that it's exciting to see that, and and um, yeah, that that was enjoyable. It's like it's like just a group of nerds, not that much different than than you and me, like um, making comics in their in their living room. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> that's how it all started. And it, so, uh, isn't yeah. that how all comics, all indie comics start? Uh, it, it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, like if it's um. And I guess maybe comics in general were, I don't know how big they were in the 80s, like, because I'm sure there were some factors then that, that were kind of contributed to, to the rise of any comics at that time. It's like something in the cultural milieu. It's like yeah. the industry has become so commercialized now, it's like, could that happen today? I really you know? don't know because I have thoughts and opinions about that, and we should totally do a, a podcast just about this topic in the yeah, future we should bring some other yeah readers on yeah have some, like a round table or a zoom table absolutely um well one of my opinions is that is happening today there are tons when i say that i mean indie there are indie comics today there are tons of indie creators 
I think that the market is oversaturated with indie creators mm. because back in the day in the 80s when Kevin and Peter did their comic uh, I can't imagine there was a big selection of indie comics at your local shops yeah and you didn't have web comics you, yeah you couldn't exactly just, you couldn't just self-publish online you know yeah it's like it had to be through a local comic book store and that seems like that's kind of how it started with them is like they they started selling it in a specific local store and then at that store it, it started out selling the marvel comics at that store and that's how it started gaining traction it's like and then they started getting like high demand i guess this i guess this was a popular store back in the day but like but it, I think it was their local store or somewhere nearby. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, and, like, it just, it took off, like, locally. And then I think the right person ran into it, I guess, maybe at some kind of convention or something. I'm trying to remember the details. But, like, um, but yeah, like, I guess really when they they got in touch with the guy that helped them to license it to, like, yeah. to Playmates and then to, um, I forget who did the count, the tv series but as far as uh production. the wolf something or another yeah like that was the producer i think i don't know if it was like was it was it deke did deke get involved no no, no not deke no okay. not deke yeah i couldn't remember i they, don't think so anyway. they always show it at the end of the credits but i, I can't remember off the top of my head um yeah deke is sonic the hedgehog and some other stuff inspector gadget yeah i think uh, probably i don't know garfield maybe did they do did they get involved with Garfield? I don't remember. But uh, can you imagine what would have happened to the Turtles if the creators didn't license them out to be a toy line in the cartoon series? They could have just died. As possible, yeah. Like, it might have had its run kind of in that, yeah. in that region and then maybe never taken off on the national level. You know, maybe it would have been a successful regional comic. You know... But yeah, this it took this, which I guess they had caught the attention of of quite a few agents because they had already, when the guy they finally started working with, convinced them that he was the man to do it. Um, well, I guess because he was able to get the the interest of Playmates, yeah, the, the toy maker, which you were right about the other day. I was thinking it was Hasbro, and it was definitely Playmates. That's okay. You were right right about the year the two thousand seven film came out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, and I should have remembered that too, because I definitely had, had a number of the toys back in the day, playmates, but I guess this was the first, that was a cool thing. And this is not, I know this is not about the comics, but it was just cool to see that for playmates, like they were making toys for other companies like Mattel and probably Hasbro too, but they didn't have their own line. So this launched their own line. This is the first time they made their own they wanted to do it with something unique, so it was the first time they launched their own toys, so to speak, that they, they weren't making for another company. Um, so the Turtles was their... I don't know how much they do now. I don't know if they still do the Turtles oh, toys. Oh, they do. They do, do they still do? Yeah. Okay. They have... As far as I know, they have done the Turtle toys for every iteration of the Turtles. Nice. Nice. So that's, that relationship's continued then, so yeah. that's cool. That's cool. And uh, Usagi Toys. Well, they're not the only company that's done Usagi Yojimbo Toys, but whenever Usagi Yojimbo appears in a Ninja Turtle, Turtle cartoon, Playmates gets to make the toy. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Well, cool. Well, let, let's get back to the comics. So let, let's start talking about the um, the River Run. 
Um, so let's see. So I guess this would be a part of volume one. Yeah. Which lasted nine years. So this kind of run, kind of right in the middle of the run. I saw it was 1989 when it came yeah. out. So. Yeah, it was uh, written and illustrated by Rick Veach. Veach. Uh, and this is issues 24 through 26. It's a three-parter. Um, the Turtles are at Northampton in Massachusetts. I don't know if this takes place during their time away from New York uh, before they come back to face the Shredder again. Yes, the Shredder. We said he died earlier, but the Shredder comes back in the in the comics. Okay, it, but that's a completely different story. He's Worm Shredder. It's filled with worms. I don't get it. But anyway, um, I just really love the River series. The first chapter is called Down to the River. The second is chapter is called River Hymn, and the third chapter is Old Man River. And they could have made a movie, in my opinion, out of this. Uh, I mean, it maybe it's not the most epic movie, but I thought it would have been really well. Or if not a movie, they could have done an episode adaptation in one of the animated series, either the 2003 series or even the 2012 series. Mm. Um, so but they didn't. So they haven't. Have you no. seen? You seen those all the way through? And... Yeah. Well, I've seen almost every episode of, of the 2003 run, but so maybe it's in there, and I don't know about it. Oh, they might have done like an adaptation where it had a different name, maybe, but like a similar yeah. story. Yeah, I mean, it's possible I've missed it because there's a little bit of a 2003 run I haven't seen yet, but I've seen all the 2012 run. Um, the Nickelodeon team and T. Anyway, um, so you read a little bit about this. Uh, I yeah, don't think yeah. you got very far, did you? Not too far. Yeah, we ran out of time, but I read was able to read the first first few pages and um I, I liked how it how it began with um with shredder and his, his turtle shredder i keep <laughs> i did that last time too my brain substitutes they like both s words uh anyway splinter and uh, and turtles he's doing a um what do you call it a like a i guess a meditation practice of a sort yeah. ninjutsu meditation basically it the, the way it was written it almost made it sound like he could read the turtles thoughts somehow like or read their i don't know their their chi or their aura yeah. or something well splinter definitely has mystic powers or psychic powers of some sort in this uh three-part uh series uh it looks like splinter was trying to show them like splinter was somehow in his meditation able to look down the river Hmm. Um, I don't know if that, like you said, if that's chi or if it's something else, but I'm not sure how he's able to do that, but he's trying to show the turtles what he's seeing and they can't see it for some reason. Yeah. I like the, both the, um, like how they structured the, how they ordered the panels in that. And then the writing is good as well. Yeah. The opening oh. there. I enjoyed that. Like. It um, it kind of drew me in, and honestly, you know, it kind of made me want to learn more about Japanese culture. You know, that kind of thing. Like, it kind of gave me that feel of like, oh, this is something out of time. You know, that's been brought into the into the present. You know, which at the time was nineteen eighty nine. But like, um, 
But yeah, it was interesting to see Roth um, be a little goofy there. He like he like runs off. Um, so that was a little different. It was like he was almost acting a little bit more like Michelangelo. Yeah, I caught that. Normally acts like the beginning like. But it does make sense he'd be the one that was restless. Like, so you, it's like Splinter identifies a problem, and it's implied that the Roth is causing a problem, but then Splinter allows it to play out, I guess. And then that's about as far as, like, I got as far as when they, they encountered the um, the turtle eggs yeah. in the river. That's about as far as I got. So. Well, we can start from there. Um so on one of the turtles, Raph finds a leech, um, and he's scared of it. He thinks it's disgusting. Uh, he pulls it off of the baby turtle. The other brothers decide to pull a prank on Raph uh, because they're still mad at him for messing up the lesson for not bowing to Shred- Shredder. I did it <laughs> for not I'm bowing to Splinter. <laughs> yeah, uh, for not bowing to Splinter at the end of the meditation yeah uh, that was kind of disrespectful he just yeah. like he just like runs off doesn't do the bow or doesn't return the bow i should say so they they put the leech they hold raf and they put the leech on his foot then they toss him into the river um and laugh and you know say well you know maybe he'll show respect to splinter next time uh well the leech start is able to drink some of Raphael's uh, mutagen uh, saturated blood. Uh-huh. And so the next time they see this leech, it's taking down a snapping turtle because it's grown big, much bigger. Uh-huh. Um, the turtles then try to uh, hold, hold up the leech in a uh, little cavern uh with the hole just big enough for Raphael to um, shut it in with the back of his shell. He doesn't think the leech is powerful, strong enough to suck his blood through his shell. So the turtles go and get their weapons. When they come back, Raphael is unconscious because the leech now, much bigger, has been sucking away through his shell. Ooh, fun. After this... um, Raphael starts to de-evolve. By the time they figure out what the problem is, um, they stop just fooling themselves into thinking Raph is okay. Uh, It's too late. Raphael turns it back into a normal turtle, and he starts mewing like a kitten for some reason. (laughs) I don't know why. but a little weird. um, I don't think turtles even make sounds, do they? I'm trying to think. Maybe I've a never heard of sound, maybe? Maybe. Oh, yeah, snapping turtles, definitely. Like, Yeah. I ran into one. Actually, this was, I think I might have been on my way to your house because it was off of Clemensville Road in kind of that area. Cool. Um, I remember, like, I, I was looking ahead. I saw somebody run over a, a snapping turtle. Like, thing got run over, like, I think twice by, like, two Ouch. cars. And, like, and then kind of sp- spurted to the side of the road. And so me and I think one other car stopped to check on it and, and see if it was okay. And the thing got up and was still able to walk. Like, that's how tough its shell was. It got run over twice. Wow. Um, but, yeah, like, I, I don't know if it, I think it might have gotten turned over or something. Like, But, yeah, we went to try and help it, and it definitely, like, hissed and tried to snap at us. Like, uh, or, or at me. Um, but, yeah, that's 
That's my only run-in with a snapping turtle in, in the wild. But yeah, I, I do think it hissed. Memory serves me. Yeah, those things are ugly too. <laughs> pointy little nose, you know. Yeah, don't let them uh, get a hold of your fingers. Oh no, you won't have any more fingers. So what I find really cool about the mutated leech is that after he sucks a game warden dry, um, he puts on the game warden's clothes. So he's this game warden leech. <laughs> uh, he he could have fit right in with the Ninja Turtles playmates toy line, to be honest. <laughs> uh, the official character's name is Bloodsucker, by the way. Creative. Uh, and that's the end of the first issue, Down to the River. In they went down to the river to play. Yeah, pretty much. Instead of bowing to Splinter that day. So in uh, River Hymn, uh, the turtles get sidetracked for a little bit. They're trying to find the leech uh, in order to uh, find a way to reverse Raphael's uh, de-evolution. But instead, they come to a small town where they run into Abenak, a Native American man who's living in the caves. He's the last of his tribe. Uh, the Booter, the mayor, Booter, uh, he is the descendant of Colonel Booter from the Civil War, something like that, uh, who took the land the town is built on from the Native Americans from his tribe he's the last one and he lives in the caverns below the town and the townsfolk call him the ghost um uh, this issue is a has an environmental message to it about uh protecting the nature the rivers you know mm. it's got your stereotypical native american pollution makes me cry kind of thing yeah, going it's like on who, who can own land yeah, yeah that too mm -hmm. um but a abanak comes off as a very likable character um he uh he helps the turtles help him uh with his miss mission of stopping mayor booter from polluting the uh lake uh, he's secretly been dumping toxic chemicals from one of his plants into the caverns below the city. Mm. Um, so the turtles blow up the plant. But, uh, they make sure the people are out first, right? Well. Or do they? <laughs> well, I think that Booter dies. Oh. I can't remember. No, oh, that's right. The leech, the leech eats Booter. Okay, I was gonna say. Bo Booter jumps in his, escapes the factory, um, and jumps in his car. But the leech is waiting in the back seat. Just, <laughs> I don't know why, but he just is. Uh, I want evil blood. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so Abenak, the Native American, decides to help the turtles. Uh, find a way to help Raphael. So he tells them about the old man of the river. The, this is issue three now. Uh, so they get into a canoe, which was left there. The old man of the river has been g telling Abenak what to do in dreams. 
Hmm. So he told him about this canoe, which is right where their car breaks down, which is very convenient. And uh, they paddle to the source of the river where the old man is waiting. The old man tells them that he is worshipped or was worshipped as a god by the druids. Were there druids in North America, by the way? Not that I'm aware of. Okay. Um, Because in this story, there were druids in North America that... uh, Yeah, unless, I mean, unless they were immigrants from Scotland. Oh, No, excuse me, Ireland. They would have been Celtic. uh, But yeah... to find out who is on the other side of the microphone. There are multiple options by which you can connect with us. Our Instagram handle is at irreverent underscore nerds. We are on Facebook and YouTube as simply the irreverent nerds. Makes sense, right? And of course, we are on your podcast app. If you listen on Spotify, scroll down through the episode description and you will see a question. What did you think of this episode? We welcome your feedback, including your constructive criticism. We also post episode-specific polls and questions from time to time on Spotify, so please feel free to jump in and give us your two cents. All right, nerds, I've talked enough. Let's get back to this week's episode. I'm not sure, actually. I'm not sure. I I doubt it. Yeah, I kind of doubt not, it too. Not like Celtic druids, because they kind of phased out o- over the centuries due to the spread of Christianity. Right. And they kind of stomped out competition, so to speak, um, which they definitely would have been competition with like the Catholic priests, like once Roman Catholicism took hold in, in Ireland. Um, so I don't. I think they, the druids, probably would have slowly died out. I, I don't know if there's still any druids today. If that. To my understanding, they they only passed on the tradition through oral, like there was nothing, nothing much that was ever written down. It was just oh, oral tradition. I didn't know that. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know if there were ever any in the U.S. I, I guess Massachusetts might make sense, like as a, as a place where they might have immigrated to. But, but yeah, I'm not sure. And Christianity is mentioned in this issue of Ninja Turtles only in that. It said that the Druid religion is older. Um, but the old man of the river explains that he's about a million years old, that he came from a advanced civilization on Earth that destroyed themselves uh, with their own technology, and then they turned to nature, where he basically became a sorcerer and learned how to control atoms and molecules and whatnot so that's a cool origin story i like that yeah for the character like that's that's pretty cool like i love the idea of like there being an advanced civilization that died out long before like our modern civilizations like that's 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 a cool just a cool concept like yeah even if it never happened like just thinking about it is fascinating yeah um i've been fascinated by a similar Similar stories, like in the video game Chrono Trigger, mm-hmm. there's a civilization that uses magic, and uh, during the Ice Age, they actually live on these sky islands oh, in the nice. sky. Um, it's like this lost civilization. Uh, so, you know, that, that idea of lost civilizations is really cool. 
Yeah, yeah, like like one of my one of the Disney movies I, I enjoy is, is Atlantis. Like that's, oh, cool, that's a cool, cool Disney movie. They need to do a sequel at some point to that. Like or even actually a live I would I would not mind seeing a live action version of that. Like so many of the the live action Disney versions, I'm like, why? Other than just making money, which I know you're you're all about Disney. But like aside from that, like what what's the why why remake this? Like yeah, I guess it's just a money thing. Um you know, but that is one that I think would translate well to live action. I mean, because it has, pe- has people in it. You know, obviously it's not that like those two. They were made, I think, was kind of during that brief period where there was like, I don't even know what you call it, but like Disney started making PG films. You know, they started getting a little more serious, at least for a brief period there. And um, you know, they also made Treasure Planet, which I really, right. which I thoroughly enjoy, and I would not mind seeing that live action actually. That would be cool. Oh, that would be a cool sci-fi film. It would. It would. Yeah. I, I, lo- I love the animated film, and the, the music is gorgeous. Uh, James Newton Howard is the man. I don't know if he did the one for Atlantis, but he definitely did the music for, for Treasure Planet. Anyway, side note. So, um, I, let's see. Going back to my notes here, just wanted to check. Yep, I'm still on track. Okay, so... Spoiler alert, <laughs> they go to the old man of the river to get help for Raphael, and the Native American Abenak sees the old man of the river as his master because he's been giving him dreams all these years um, about what to do and about how his destiny ends at the source of the river where the sorcerer old man river is. Well, twist the sorcerer old man river sent the leech to drain Raphael because he doesn't like mutants in his river he's the (laughs) villain he orchestrated the whole thing psych so now the turtles are fighting a sorcerer Ah. Uh, the leech has been hiding in wait and uh, on his master's call uh, the mutant leech so now they're fighting the sorcerer, they're fighting the leech, they're not quite winning. Um, when it seems like all is lost, um, oh, let me back up. Splinter. Splinter is still searching the waterways. He's been keeping an eye on his sons, uh, his pupils, uh, through these this three-issue story arc by... I don't know if it's like we discussed earlier. I don't know if it's chi or if it's mystic, if it's psychic. I'm not not sure, but he's, he's like tracking their spirits yeah. or something, or yeah. whatever you want to call it. Exactly. He he's able to. He has the sight. The sight. <laughs> so he finds Old Man River, and Old Man River pushes back and actually mentally paralyzes Splinter for a brief moment. Um, once Splinter revives himself while Old Man River, the sorcerer, is busy fighting the turtles, Splinter sends out this mystical chi shockwave in the form of a giant hand and arm down the entire course of the river and then smacks Old Man River, the sorcerer, uh, with this giant hand. Nice. That's um, cool. 
it took all all of what Splinter had to to do it, but he uh, it was enough to uh, cause the old man River the Sorcerer to lose, temporarily lose the ability to form his human body. Um, so I wanted you to read it because I want to see your reaction, but. Yeah, no, uh, yeah. yeah, we should have planned that a little better, but, uh, but yeah, I definitely want to read it. Like, yeah. it sounds really, sounds really cool. Like, I like that story. Yeah, I, I really love it. This is my favorite, uh, series of the original Turtles run. Uh, I haven't read every issue, though, but, um, I'm sure that City at War is probably really good, but I've only got, like, two or three issues of it, so I haven't read it. Um, but this is definitely one of my favorite, uh, weird thing though is that the sorcerer since he can't hold his body together anymore because he's lost his concentration uh he tries to de-age himself before his body dies but he just keeps de-aging and he calls out to the native american abanak to help him and abanak's like i can't even if i want to i'm not a sorcerer like you are and and uh, the sorcerer, the old old man River, tells him, "You have the ability too. I sense it in you." And uh, then he turns into a baby, and then a fetus, and boop, disappears. <laughs> uh. Uh, so that was a little weird, but <laughs> interesting. Uh, meanwhile, the turtles are losing their fight against the mutant leech when suddenly little baby turtle Raphael starts biting Leech Man on the foot. And starts drinking his blood. They they fight, and when they come up out of the waters behind a waterfall, Raphael is back in his full adult size as a mutant turtle, and he's holding the little leech now in his between his fingers. Um, and then they look up to see that the Native American Abenak has taken his place as the new sorcerer of the river. Oh, okay. And and they're they're nervous about that at first, but find out that the Native American is on their side. Like, I like you guys. I like turtles. <laughs> yeah, and rats, giant rats. I love them. <laughs> and uh, sends them back to Splinter. Uh, I exactly how how he's able to become a sorcerer suddenly. I have no idea, <laughs> but. Uh, uh, meanwhile, he, he had the gift. He had it inside him. I guess he did. Maybe it's like a latent gene from like the ancient civilization or something got turned on. I, I doubt they would have approached it that way, but it's like um, that makes me think of X Files actually, because X Files actually does oh cool deal with um, there's quite a few episodes um, that have Native Americans play a prominent part um, in like some of their you know connections with aliens and things like that and um but but there is also a um a particular character in the x-files series who has a um i don't know if it was an ancient gene or no it's a it's an alien gene that you know got in somehow got into the human gene pool and it is they find out you know eventually spoiler alert by the way for x-files um, that all humans have some form of it, but this particular person, like his, has been activated, 
such that he can like sense people's thoughts. So he can oh. hear people's thoughts. Um, so telepathy, basically, or not telepathy. telepathy. No, I'm thinking so telepathy. Telepathy. Um, but yeah, like in the. Oh, excuse me. Anyway, reminding me of that a bit, and obviously X Files delves into like ancient civilizations and stuff too, and and different different features of that. But uh, but yeah. Yeah, I've always, there's something about the distant past, like, it just feels inaccessible and mysterious, you know, it's like, and, um, yeah, and then obviously we only have written records, you know, as humans, at least up to this point, in terms of, like, societies that have actual alphabet, like, developed alphabets, or, you know, even something as simple as, like, cuneiform or yeah. uh, hieroglyphs, you know, we're only talking, like, like, what, five, six thousand years ago, in terms of now they've found cave drawings that they they date to you know forty thousand years ago, and that's about as far back as, as you can get with any kind of like art or writing or artwork or, um, but yeah, like you, you think of like going back a million years or like, you know, it's just, it's so far back that it, like, it's like kind of mind boggling to think, you know, like how far back that is, like or how many, like say hypothetical like if humans had been around that long like how many generations that is like going back you're like oh, grandfather yeah. grandfather's grandfather 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 you know it's, it's like let's keep on going um it's crazy yeah anyway yeah I, I like that kind of stuff though just uh just as like a an exploration of the, the possible or the the fictional you know it's just it's fun to, to think about um the distant past yeah. Anyway. So I would have loved if uh, the river had been adapted, like I said earlier, but I'm not sure why it hasn't been adapted. Um, it, unless, unless it was. Yeah, that would have made a really it. good episode. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the only thing I can think of is that since it was written and illustrated by Rick Veach, V. V. Veach. Veach, Veach. Uh, that maybe they would have needed to have paid him royalties. Could be, yeah. I, I would think. I mean, you should. Like, yeah. If they were to base a TV episode off of his writing, you should get royalties. I mean, I know those yeah. always happen. Um, and I don't know what kind of royalties are involved in, like, a, a hit cartoon show. Um, but from what I've learned about, like, through following, like, the WGA and the SAG After Strike a bit, like, in the, at least in the current climate with streaming, like, writers are kind of getting the short end of the stick is there um they're not getting paid as much and they're not getting as many royalties off of the streaming writing even though they're doing you know a similar like the shows are similarly popular to like big network shows um they're not they've shifted the pay structure so they don't have to pay them as much uh, right which is kind of sad like that is sad it's one of the reasons they're striking yeah um, um. And you know, uh, Rick should absolutely be paid royalties if they were to adapt his story. Uh, I'm just commenting on how some companies, etc., are notorious about not wanting to pay royalties. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, not that they can't afford it; they can afford it. Yeah, like if you can afford it and you just don't want to, you know, that's one thing. Or, but if you're legitimately trying trying to save money and conserve costs and stuff then 
you know, might might be cheaper to do an original story or to than it would be to adapt an older one and then have to pay double royalty. I don't know how that works in the in terms of contracts and whatnot, but if you had to pay like double royalties or something like to the the original person and then also the the new writer who adapts it, you know, like well, true. I don't I don't know how that works exactly, but economically I could see where if that were the case I could see where economically it would make more sense just to have new stories like maybe inspired by old ones but not enough to where the the old writer would have a case to be like hey you just plagiarized my story yeah or, you know you borrowed enough that you need to you need to pay me um anyway well we're we're getting close up on an hour here um did you have any uh any final thoughts on the the river run or, or even just the volume one of the of the comics well um I don't have all issues of volume one. I think that most of my issues come from volume one, but, uh, I've certainly not read all of the original comics, Ninja Turtle comics. Uh, I also, can you buy volume one just as a single, I would imagine it'd be massive. Yeah. I think, I think that the easiest way to get them these days is probably from IDW because IDW has been doing reprints. Uh, yeah. I've just been focusing on buying the older prints. Oh um, yeah. If you can get them. Yeah. yeah. Like the Mirage prints. Yeah. So I, I have had my eye on the IDW reprints, but like one hardcover that collects a volume is like 50 bucks or something. Yeah. And I just, yeah, I guess it's like money. Like volume one, I saw it covered nine years of the comics. So yeah, that's a, that's a lot. So that makes sense that it would be 50 bucks. Like that makes sense. Like seems fairly reasonable actually for nine years worth of comics, I guess. And it is, it is. Um, like even back in the eighties, you're paying, I saw on the front like two. Well, I guess it's the reprint is, was the reprint that you had of the, the river or is that the original no those those are the originals okay so it was 250 even back then like yeah i know it's probably like six bucks now for like a, a single issue probably like when i bought some recently it's like five six bucks for for a single issue and you get like what 20 pages um this is like not a lot of content for, yeah. for six bucks necessarily uh i've got three different versions of issue number one i have a black and white which came out in 2007 that reprint i've got a sepia which might actually be from the 90s it's a limited edition uh one it's not in great condition then i've got a full color version from 2009 and the 2009 one uh i bought cover price three dollars and some change oh so it didn't go up much yeah uh, inter intervening years that would have been 20 years later actually so only went up 75 cents that's not bad <laughs> as inflation goes you know what i mean that's not bad not bad at all but uh yeah I, most comics are about five bucks these days though yeah five six bucks per issue yeah at least in what i've seen especially the more mainstream ones like um which I know some of that may be supply and demand, you know, in the terms of, like, if they're selling less, they have to charge a little bit more in order to to be able to pay people. Yeah. You know, um, so that's 
kind of law supply and demand and, and now that you have more and more available digitally or through subscriptions you know it's like it's probably fewer people buying the physical issues like um like i myself like i've bought a few physical issues off and on over the last couple of years and i usually go to sailfish uh, when i do that um but like you know i got my start like with batman stuff was more like buying the collections like the like a, a full arc like the long halloween that kind of thing like um and i haven't actually i haven't gotten a copy of that one yet that is definitely on my list um i wish i'd had the money i, I saw it actually popped up twice i wonder if it was the same same one that someone re- you know sold back to mckay's but huh. it popped up twice they had a, it was like a limited edition black and white version of the long halloween i was like oh that looks really cool and it's like i wish i'd had the money to get it at the time but yeah i think it was like 22 bucks or something like that which uh, not bad like and it looked like it was good condition so cool color no it was limited black edition and black and white cool. you did say that because it's originally in color so but they did a they printed a, a special black and white cool. version of it. I've read the black and white version actually. Have you had the long Halloween? Yeah. It nice. came in. It came in at work one day at my full time job, and I oh, read it. Oh dang! I wish I'd been able to go steal it off the shelf because <laughs> I bet it would have been cheaper at uh, at Goodwill. Yeah, um, I don't know where it went. I don't know what store it sold at. I don't know what they sold it at. Probably like five yeah. bucks or something. Like yeah, how how I wish I could buy books, but. Uh, but no, that wouldn't be appropriate. Like, no, it wouldn't you know. be. <laughs> well, nerds, uh, thanks for going down this uh, this journey with us for an hour. This is our, our first official episode talking about uh, Turtles comics from the Mirage Run, uh, specifically Volume 1. Uh, yeah, it's a cool conversation. I, I enjoyed the little bit of reading that, that I got to do uh, prior to the episode. and uh, Yeah, like I, I think I've gotten, in, in part because of our podcast, I think I've gotten more and more into comics in, in in the last year or so like um yeah i think I'm, I'm starting to gravitate a little more in that direction and back towards reading more you know i still watch my fair share and obviously we cover movies tv shows for the for the podcast as well um but yeah but it's it's probably better for my brain if i actually read more comics and read more books and watch less less tv I certainly need to get back into reading books. Yeah, reading a good one right now. It's actually a, a new or newer one uh, by Christopher Paolini. Um, I don't know if you ever read the Aragon series of novels. I've heard of it. If you've heard of it, um, yeah, don't bother watching the movie adaptation. It was not good. <laughs> it was not good. Um, yeah, I think they're eventually gonna gonna reboot that, which they should. They're good. But he he's. He's dabbling in science fiction now, or actually dabbling. He, he's writing science fiction now, and I'm, I'm reading one of his called the uh, was it the the fractal fractal oh can't remember the title the fractal verse fractal verse anyway it's a it's really good like this this crew um, discovers and it's the first and this it's the first evidence of intelligent alien life. You know, this takes place in like 2234 and they discover this massive hole that's been carved out on a planet and it's and it's operating as a as a powerful speaker like sending out oh. a rhythmic um, transmission of some sort that's like incredibly loud like 180 decibels 
Uh, anyway, yeah, that's pretty cool. So, but uh, that's probably my cue for signing off. Uh, I think my daughter needs some help. So, nerds, until next time. Until uh, next time, we'll be covering the uh, DOV anime next week. Oh yeah, I look forward to that. And then uh, we'll finish out Turtles Month with uh, Rise of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the Netflix film. So, look forward to that too. Sayonara. Till next time. Live long and prosper. Cowabunga! <laughs> we didn't plan that. <laughs>Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of the Reverend Nerds Podcast. If you would, consider following us on Instagram. We are there at irreverent underscore nerds. You can also hit us up on Facebook. Just look us up there at the Irreverent Nerds. That's our fan page. We have a YouTube channel as well. Once again, the Irreverent Nerds. Nice and simple, right? And if you go to www.irreverentnerds.com, that will send you to our podcasters for Spotify, formerly Anchor.fm, profile, where you can send us a voice message if you want to, support us financially, or listen to the podcast. It will also direct you to other places you can listen, like Spotify, Apple, Google, Stitcher, you name it. So, like, comment, subscribe follow all those good things wherever you find us wherever you listen to us we would greatly appreciate it until next time nerds live long and prosper avengers assemble i'm batman